Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. We are counting down to the end of season five, but the final few episodes of this season are filled with beautiful and meaningful conversations. My guest today has been in the entertainment industry for 20 plus years, having been one of the original 90s Mickey Mouse Club members alongside stars like Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, and Christina Aguilera. She is now one of the Hallmark Channel's biggest movie stars, having starred in over a dozen films. In addition to her acting, she is a philanthropist who finds time to give back to various causes that she is passionate about, as well as being a wife and a mom. Nikki Deloach, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That was an amazing introduction. It oh. makes me sound like I actually feel like I accomplished something in my oh, life. Oh, you have. Stop it. You've accomplished so much. It's so funny. I feel like I just was watching with my sister because my sister and I were huge Mickey Mouse Club fans. I think you were singing Right Time. That old- Oh, yes. It's the right time yeah. to fall in love. <laughs> And, yeah. Oh my God! I'm gonna get you, baby. Yes. Um, <laughs> Brittany, Brittany killed that song. Oh, blast I remember, from the past, right? I, yeah, I remember the choreography for that because it was such a fast-paced song, and the choreographer wanted like dancers, yeah. and and so it was me, Alana, and Brittany, and the choreography was so incredible, and it was so high-paced, and I just, oh man, I miss that. I miss yeah. like just dancing and you know singing always made me really nervous but dancing was my very first that was love your thing. I miss oh it. I love that I mean you started out at the industry at such a young age and I mean I, I think it's safe to assume that you probably always wanted to do that considering that you started at such a young age oh yeah and a lot of people that do start as child actors and child performers they have very different experiences and it can either encourage you to keep going or it can deter you from it altogether. So for you, how did, because clearly you kept going because you've had a successful acting career. <laughs> or so I'm just really stubborn. Mouse- <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but how did the Mickey Mouse Club really prepare you for the entertainment industry? And was there any time after your time on MMC that you did feel kind of burnt out and you weren't sure if this was the path that you wanted to take? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, you know, one of the ways I feel like that the, my experience there prepared me is you just do the work. Mm. You show up and do the work. You know, there's no like you don't complain, you know, unless obviously some kind of some boundaries are being crossed. Right, but like, right. you know, you show up, you work hard, you do the work and you're a team player. And I think that was the thing about that show that taught all of us were taught was how to play on a team. You didn't get a solo, you know, you didn't get a solo every week. You didn't get a dance number every week. You didn't get a skit where you were lead in every week, but everybody was featured in their own really special and unique way. And I think it taught me at a very young age that like, oh yeah, we all bring something very different to the table and something that I am weaker in, for example, singing, you know, Christina Aguilera, Brittany, Justin, whomever, Rona Bennett. Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. Rona Bennett. You know, they are incredible singers. But what I can do really well is I can perform and I'm a fantastic dancer. So I'm going to make, I'm going to be in the background, like doing my thing and make it like hyping the crowd, you know, like making her look even better. Like, you know, it teaches you at a very young age that everybody plays a role and that every single role is important and, and just hard work. So those were two very important lessons, I think are important to learn if you're going to be in this industry for sure. And also, you know, 
I had this unique experience of being cast with, you know, we were the, I was a part of the seven that were the new kids. So it was Justin and Brittany and Christina and Ryan Gosling. And I mean, just the most famous people that exist. And they were my peers. They were like, they were my, they were my family. And so while their careers were just blowing up, I was caught in probably the lowest part of my career that I experienced. I was coming out of the music business. I was signed to Lou Pearlman, like all Mm -hmm. of them, but we didn't get enough uh, notoriety, or I guess you could say fame before his whole scheme fell apart. And for those of you who don't know the Lou Pearlman story, Lance Bass, who was in NSYNC, did an incredible documentary on him. It's uh, on YouTube Red. Red, please go check it out. It's, it was really well done. And, you know, he was a con artist and he went to prison and my group got really caught up in that. And we got stuck in this contract that we weren't able to get out of. So that was very much the end. And, you know, I, I struggled with like, well, did, did God forget about me? Mm. Did I not work hard enough? Did, you know, am I just not one of the lucky ones? And what I did with that time was I went to college I went to college and I, you know, I had no money, (laughs) no money, like not even (laughs) two pin. Like here I had worked my whole life since I was 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I had no money stuck in this contract for two and a half more years. I was like, you know what? I want a college degree. I've always wanted a college degree and maybe what, God is saying or the universe or whatever word that you have for the energy that connects us all mm-hmm. is saying is like, now it's time for you to do that. Right. Yeah. And I did. And I, I loved every second that I was in college and it was some of the best years of my life. It wasn't a normal college. I wasn't like, you know, pledging a sorority or anything. It was just like show up and learn. And after spending my entire life showing up and working, it was really cool just to show up and just to learn and be a student. And the cool, the craziest thing happened about five days after that record contract had ended where I was kind of stuck and unable to to do nothing. um, I got my first audition for a show and I was like, well, maybe I'll go on it. I don't know. I kind of, what I wanted to do, I was a sociology major and a, I was a sociology and psych major. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to learn about institutions, especially coming from the South. I felt like I learned a very different history yeah. about our country yeah. than what was actually the history, the true history of our country. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to learn the true history of our country. And then because between that and my faith, which was to walk like Jesus walked, where is their need? Um, where can I help? Where can I be of service? You know, um, I, I wanted to take my psych degree and to go into communities where they didn't have access to mental health care. Mm. And I still want to do that. So I ended up getting my degree in psychology and, um, and that's still, you know, on the list for me to do is go and get my master's and to be able to do that, not for money, but because it matters. It yeah. matters a lot. And the older I've gotten, like, you probably know, you talk to so many people, like mental health is everything. Yes. Yes. Truly, truly is. I love that you made that choice because it's clearly served you. You're using your platform 
but still giving back to these organizations and causes that you're super passionate about. And I think that when you get to a certain level in your career, you almost have a responsibility. And I know from you, you can speak from a faith base that like, okay, I've been given these blessings. I have to go out and bless other people. So I love that that's what you're doing. And there are a couple of organizations that I know that you're really, really aligned with. And you have even personal stories to connect you to them. One is, I know Children's Hospital LA, you have a very personal story with them, but also the Alzheimer's Association and as well as it's called Mind What Matters. Did I get that correct? That's right. Yeah, okay, I, I, great. Just right. Perfect. <laughs> um, if, and as much as you feel comfortable, I would love for you to share what those personal stories are that have aligned you with those organizations that have wanted you to give back and really work with them and bring more awareness? Thank you so much. This is the coolest question you could ask me um, because this is why I work. I work so that I could do that um, because that's really my passion actually. And the cool thing about your podcast and I, you know, I listen to your episodes and the thing that you hit home with is the conversation, right? Mm. It's the conversation. If we are, if we don't have the courage to talk about things that are hard or things that change us. If we can't take that pain and use it and grow and expand and yeah. give back with it, then it's wasted pain. Yeah. And so for me, Children's Hospital of Los Angeles services millions of children. And, you know, for me, again, going with Jesus, who I believe the measure of a good country is how we take care of our most vulnerable. Mm, amen. And, I feel like we are failing in so many ways. Children's Hospital is doing it to the nth degree. I mean, you walk in that hospital, you don't have money, you don't have insurance. It does not matter. Mm. Your child will not be turned away. They will not get a lesser service. They will be treated like any other child. To me, when, you know, my Bennett, my, my youngest kid, when I was five and a half months, we went in to get the 40 ultrasound and realized that he was going to be born with four congenital heart defects. Mm. And there was a big chance that he wouldn't make it. And it's, I mean, it's just a, it takes your breath in a way that you've never really experienced because we've all gone through a lot of pain, but man, when it comes to a child, like it, you know, it's really the first time in your life where you're like, I would literally take a bullet in order Mm -hmm. to save this child and um, children's hospital, man, they first surgery out of the gate, they saved his life. And then they did it again a year from then. And then they did it again, six months after that. And so he's had three heart surgeries in the first two years of his life. He'll have to have more, but when I saw what they did, not just for my son, but for all of those kids that that I was, I was in, I was in like, whatever you need me for. I don't care. Like you call, I don't care if it's four o'clock in the morning, I will raise money. I will show up. I am there because no mother or father should ever have to choose between bankruptcy and saving their child's life. Yeah. Never, ever. We should not live. We're the United States of America. We should not live in that country. I mean, not have to live in a country where that exists. So that's really important to me. And the other one, yes, is the Alzheimer's Association and Mind What Matters. Both of those nonprofits deal with um, Alzheimer's and dementia, but in two different ways. So everybody's familiar with the Alzheimer's Association and it really, really deals with like 
research. Research, uh, they're helping to find cures, but really they're focused on preventative measures and also helping to facilitate research that helps us to, to help with drugs, like mm -hmm. really and truly to help find a drug to slow this thing down. And where the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health that belongs to the government, there's so much red tape. They're wonderful, but like it may take them 20 years to do a study where it may take the Alzheimer's Association two years to fund that st study. Mm. So you're cutting through all of that red tape. Yeah. Every, di every dime is accounted for. And I got involved with them when my grandfather died of Alzheimer's, vascular dementia, actually. Mm. And then my father got Pick's disease, early onset dementia, when he was in his 50s. Um, and, you know, I, I know you don't mind if I get emotional, no, but no, my dad just um, passed away. Uh, we like three weeks, three weeks ago, he um, he was 66 and it so was the most. Oh, my gosh. So young. And it was the most brutal thing um, watching him suffer through that disease. It took everything from him. Absolutely everything. And so for me. I, before I take my last breath in this world, I want to know that future generations will be spared what my dad had to experience. Yeah. And my kids won't have to watch their parent suffer the way that my dad did. So I am a real advocate for them. And Mind What Matters is a nonprofit that deals specifically with helping financially uh, caregivers, um, especially millennials who now are really having to be caretakers to their parents and they're having to leave college. They're having to quit their jobs. So, so much of this time when they're really supposed to be focusing on building their future, they're having to stay home and take mm. care because it's, you know, people are getting it at a much younger age. So, for us, we're really focusing on who out there, especially millennials, are caretakers, and they need to be able to build their life. How can we financially help you? And that's why I got involved with that, because it's the only nonprofit that exists right now that is focused completely on caregivers. Wow. That is beautiful. Oh, what a beautiful soul you are. I love your story. <laughs> I love Thank it. Thank you. And I, and I love that you're saying like, this is why I work. Like I'm not working for any other reason, but to have a platform to yep. get, bring more awareness. And that is so, so important. But my question for you is why did Hallmark feel like the right home for you? <laughs> and I love Hallmark. I'm not kidding. I've literally seen probably majority of the movies that you've been in. <laughs> like, I don't know anybody that doesn't watch Hallmark, especially during Christmas. They'll lie if they say they don't. Everybody does. But why did that feel like the right home for you? Because, you know, I know a lot of people, even in just any career field, it, it takes a lot to, to know, okay, this is the right home for me. This is where I feel the most comfortable. But also as an actress, why did you feel you could continue to return to that network? Well, I felt, you know, it actually was born the first Christmas movie I did. I was on a show called Awkward at the time. And I and my grandmother had been begging me to do a Hallmark Christmas movie. <laughs> so my agency reached that. out to Hallmark and said, hey, Nikki Deloach is interested in doing a Christmas movie for you guys. And then the next thing you know, I had an offer to go do a movie for them. And I it was the last movie of that season. Gosh, I think it was seven years ago maybe and um i remember going home to my hometown in blackshear georgia and we were at it was the 23rd it was the christmas uh service mm -hmm. and 
And the pastor was like, we got to get out of here early because Nikki's Christmas movie is on television. And so he sent all of us home to go watch the Christmas movie. And the response that I got from people, I mean, I've been doing this my whole life. Yeah. And of course, I've had like people from MMC that we've grown up together uh, or, you know, people from Awkward, kids from Awkward that were like, you're the mom in Awkward that would chase me through malls. Um, (laughs) This was something very different. It was this warmth and joy and safety that they were like, whenever it would just kind of explode out of them when they would talk about these movies. And I was like, I've never felt this before. This is something, and this was before Hallmark really exploded. So then I went back to my managers. I also, um, Uh, you know, had spent an entire year of my time in between hiatuses of awkward going to uh, learn how to produce. I had, Mm. I I knew very much a creative side of production, but I didn't know the business side. And so I had decided to intern at a friend's production company after interning there for a while. um, He offered me a job as a creative executive and with the caveat that like, you know, I needed to stay there until awkward went back and so it was a full year before we started back up on awkward and i i stayed there and i worked i had an office i went in i had a boss you know i i did the work i did the work um so i knew i always wanted to eventually write and produce and that was the direction i wanted to move into and so i also saw this as an opportunity to really kind of hone those skills so i went back to la i sat down with my you know management who were kind of shocked that I was coming off of this hit show and wanted to make content for Hallmark. <laughs> they were like, wait, you want to, you want to do what? Yeah. They were like, now's the time to pounce, to do this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, let's see what happens. I'll of course audition and stuff, but I want to follow this. And yeah. Hallmark gave me my first opportunity pr- to start producing my own movies And I did a movie there, which was one of the first about a divorced family. Um, You know, I, I've been able, they really allowed me to kind of start telling thicker stories. And with each one, we stretch a little bit more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a ginormous audience. So if you can get to those a hundred million people that are tuning in and we can make those stories more diverse, more inclusive, if we can stretch and tell those bigger stories at a network like that, we're doing something really important, yeah, right? Yeah. And if we can do it inside the beautiful, the beautiful cave that is love, which is what, you know, it's love stories. It's all about love. Then we actually get to speak to the heart of people. And so that was really important to me. And also just making people on the other side of the TV feel a certain way I wanted to be a part of. And you know what? I have to say, like, I... After I got off Awkward that first year afterward, I tested for so many shows and got so close to so many shows. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is going on? Why? Why is this not really happening? And then I found out and then I was got pregnant and found out about Bennett. And that Mm -hmm. really took me out of everything 
for a while because I decided to just focus on saving my child's life. Right. Yeah, that was the most important thing. And then I was uh, at risk, honestly, of losing my insurance because I had just been such a vortex with my babe. And uh, my husband came in and said, babe, I hate to tell you this, but like, we're going to lose our insurance if you don't go back to work. And one phone call to Hallmark and they had me on set in three weeks. So you know, some people could look at my career choice and say, like, you should have maybe con- continued to go down that path and got on that next big show. But what I know to be true is that this network has allowed me to grow and expand as a producer. They have trusted me. And in times when I really needed help, like really important help, like health insurance, they were there for me. Mm. So that that was all I really needed, Yeah, you know? You just feel supported at that home. Very much so. That's incredible. Have you come across any challenges being a female producer on content? (laughs) I love that response already. (laughs) I have been called some of the most horrible names by men being a creative producer. Like yeah. horrible if you try to readjust or realign or or say like, hey, you stole some money, buddy. Where's that money? I'm on to you. Like whatever it may be. Yeah. Oh my God. You, you then to be on the receiving end of the anger that comes out or the entitlement or the privilege of like, why do I have to answer to you? You're younger than me. You're a woman, right? I've been on the other side of a lot of that. And all I will say is like, I just go back to the, like, you know, I go back to Jesus. They know not what they they do. (laughs) You have to like go into the spirit in that way and be like, okay, I'm going to stop myself from responding. Yeah. I just go into the spirit. I just can only imagine. I can only imagine, especially when you get to that level, but yeah, I would say just being a woman, but also the age thing, I could see what you would come up against for sure. Oh yeah. Men don't normally like to be told what to do especially by a woman and especially by a woman that's younger than them. And I think that this is all starting to change. This is all starting to shift. Thank you God for all the Mm. advocates and the brave women who have brought so many issues to the surface so that we get to finally be able to stand in our worth. We always had our worth. We always knew who we were. 100%. Right. Yeah. Other people just didn't get it yet. Yeah. And so now we're having to force them to get it. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> right, right. However, however, however we get there. But I think for me, you know, it was more about, and it still is to this day, I'm going to stand here in love. You can be angry. You can be this. You can be that. But I'm going to do, I'm going to proceed forth the, it, the way I I have been taught how to, which is to stand in my integrity, to stay calm and just do the work. And I will say that most every single one of those men have come back and apologized. Oh, wow. Most every single one of those men have said, you know what? You're awesome. And thank mm. you for thank you for not yelling back. And thank yeah. you for like, you know, still allowing 
us to work together. And they, and so I think that there is something in our behavior when we don't engage in that and we just stand there in our integrity and we're like, I, I'm going to allow you to be angry and kick around like a toddler and that's fine. And I'm just going to hold space. And then when you're done, you can talk. Yeah. Yeah. It's also a lesson for grace for you to learn how to give grace to other people, which we're tested with often. So often. That's my favorite word. And it's one of my favorite words for a reason, because I think that God has given me so much grace in my life. Mm. I've made so many mistakes there. I mean, I was in the music business on tour (laughs) at like 18, 19, 20 years old. Like, come on. Thank God social media didn't exist. But I've been given so much grace and like the least we could do because we're human beings and we're nuanced and we're complicated. And most of the time when we encounter that, it's not because they're a bad person. It's about nurturing and it's Mm -hmm. about nature and it's about, you know, sometimes we're just really messy and, you know, we need to just be, give people grace. And I think if we did a lot more of that, we would live in a much better society. Couldn't agree more. I want to circle back though, because even when you speaking about, you know, how so many advocates for women have have come forward and we're really pushing for more diversity inclusion, you also have created an online community for women called What We Are. And I would love to know more about that because it, it seems like such a beautiful online space for women. And I love that you call it an unfiltered community and space. So talk a little bit about why you decided to start that and how it has positively impacted other women? Oh, thank you for that question. Um, so me and one of my besties, Jen Didi, uh, we met at a time in our lives where we were kind of, I was again on a downslope of my career and it, the writer strike had happened. There wasn't a lot of work and every movie I got kept falling through. Mm-hmm. And um, we were in acting class together and we started to become friends and kind of made this pact with each other that you know this is before i became a mom or even got married and and we decided okay we are going to show each other the messy we are not going to do that thing that women normally do of like look how great my life is i have everything all together tired of it i don't have the energy for it like also i want to get to this place where i just love myself and that means accepting the flaws and all of it. Like I want to be able to love that people that way. So I have to learn how to love myself that way. And, you know, like some people say, I have a hard time loving myself, but I, I can love other people. And my answer to that would be with, aren't the other people that you love, aren't they also flawed? Mm. And don't you still love them? So like, we have to learn to do that for ourselves. And I said, you're going to be my accountability coach and I'm going to be your accountability coach. And boy, did we, we had no idea what we were in for my first kid. I had suicidal postpartum anxiety. Then the second kid was three heart surgeries and she had a 10 year fertility battle and she couldn't have babies. And I mean, like it was just like one thing after the other. And we decided after my postpartum is when this really the talks of starting a community came because I couldn't find anyone out there talking about postpartum. I saw the Mm. numbers of how many women it affected. And I was like, where are the women? Where are the women? Like (laughs) nobody's talking about this except Brooke Shields. But remember Brooke Shields came out and talked about it and Tom Cruise shut her down. And was like, that's not what you're experiencing. This, you know, and the gaslighting. Yeah. The gaslighting. 
ass fighting. So no wonder women didn't talk about it because here was this giant celebrity that she was so brave to talk about it. And he shut her down and was like, you're not feeling what you're actually feeling. And so I just decided like my first time on home and family, which was the morning show uh, talk show for Hallmark was my first Christmas movie. And I asked, I said, can I talk about postpartum? Mm. Because that's what I've just gone through and nobody's talking about it. And I need to talk about it because I don't want women to feel like what I felt, which was completely isolated and alone inside of this and so yeah. scared. Yeah. And so Jen and I just was, we just decided like, let's embrace the messy and maybe other people will feel other women will feel like they can embrace their messy. And then we can all be on this journey of self love together. And so that's how it was really born. And also we just love women. We think women are the coolest, best yeah. people ever. <laughs> so like, so like, we just wanted to talk to women and highlight women that. and show how just awesome they are. That's so beautiful. I love that. We need more like sisterhood community spaces for sure. Especially, especially nowadays. Yeah. So even with all of that, you are now working on a new project. (laughs) I heard it's based on the fugitive safe (laughs) surrender program. So you don't sleep. That's already been made clear, but tell me a little bit about this new project that you're working on. So my, uh, producing and writing partner, her name is Megan McNulty. Um, we were so fortunate to get basically this content uh, put in our laps and it's all God. Um, and we, you know, we've been creating content and selling content and developing for four years now. Mm-hmm. And this was one of these projects that was put in front of us. And we were like, Whoa, if there was ever a time it is now. And it, it speaks to everything we care about. So fugitive safe surrender was a program that started in New Jersey where this man, um, his name is Jim Plusis. He was um, a U.S. Marshal under Bush, but then he became the U.S. Marshal for the state of New Jersey. And at the time, Camden, New Jersey, was one of the most dangerous places in the entire country. And they really wanted to turn their communities around. And when they looked at like why there is so much crime and why this is happening, they saw that there were so many people that had warrants and all of these warrants really came down to, they didn't have the money to pay them. It was, you know, whether it was um, for traffic violations or, you know, couldn't pay their mother after for child support or, you know, all they really all came down to, you know, warrants where if we lived in a just society, right. (laughs) People would have been able to pay them to pay their mother or to pay their, uh, you know, the baby, their baby's mom to be able to take care of their children, to pay their traffic violation. And then you have one warrant out for your arrest and then you can't get a driver's license. You can't get jobs. You can't. So the cycle just continues. And what the, what Jim decided, he worked with this incredible group of people and he decided we have to get a program where we can clear these people's warrants, where we can give them a second chance at their life so they can get jobs, so they can feel like they're like they can get their self-worth back and their dignity, so they can support their families. And so he brought in um, Father Mike Mannion, who is, I mean, 
he worked with Mother Teresa for 20 something mm. years side by side with her. And then also Reverend Parker, who had one of the biggest churches in Camden, New Jersey at the time, who when he, he floats into a room. I've never Reverend Parker when he walks into it. It's like God actually delivers hand delivered. Like he just floats. He is these three men together. They brought together the police force and they brought together the church and those two forces worked together to create the program called fugitive safe surrender. Mm. They would do, they would do community drive throughs where they would, the, the police officers, and the clergymen would all get in cars and drive through Camden and pray together for the mm. people. They, the first time they did this program, almost 4,000 fugitives showed up. 4,000. Wow. And they cleared those warrants. And then they replicated this program five different times. And over the course of all of them, they were able to clear 50,000 warrants and give these people a second chance, second chance yeah. at life. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's the heart behind the badge and the heart behind the cloak is what this movie is about. And I don't know of a more timely, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, is there ever a better time to, right. to tell a story of, you know, these institutions coming together for the great, greater humanity. And that's what we're needing right now. So we right now are reaching out to, you know, we're doing announcements in New Jersey and on the East Coast for fugitives to come forward and tell their story. And they've started coming forward and talking to us about the ways in which this program act completely changed their lives. Uh, and so Megan and I, we're just so fortunate to be a part of it, to learn from these men, to be in the presence of these men. And we're really excited to not only show it in documentary, like in a documentary format, but also to bring it to life in a narrative format. Yeah, That has to be such a humbling experience too. So humbling, uh, beyond, beyond. I still wake up and I'm like, wait, what like we're yeah. doing this is this real yeah right. it, it makes you put things into perspective that's incredible I've, I've never heard of that program so i'm really really interested to to learn more about it but i love all that you're doing nikki you truly are just a beautiful soul can you let everybody know you. what you have coming up next and where they can also follow yeah. you on social media to keep up with you for sure. Um, so I have a movie coming out on Hallmark this fall called Taking the Reins, and it's September 25th. Um, and this is a movie that my writing partner and I, we created and produced it, and both of us actually got to star in it, which oh, is really amazing. cool. <laughs> um, it was so cool. It's, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, 12 years ago, you and I were doing this in acting class together, <laughs> and now... Like we're sitting across from each other, acting and the cameras are rolling. I mean, I love it was it. a real, after 30 something years in this business, it was like, I continue to be awed and wowed at just the gifts that show up when yeah. you do the work and you stay open. So that's September 25th. And then I'm going to be taking off to film my Christmas movie in September. That'll come out later in Christmas. And then to find me on Instagram, go to Nick Deloach. That's N I K. My last name Deloach at, uh, not at, I'm going to give everybody my email address. <laughs> um, that's my Instagram. And then on Twitter, it's Nikki Deloach. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. I loved it chatting with you and I wish you nothing but success. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And thank you for what you do. I love Aww. the conversations you're having. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to the listeners, make sure you subscribe if you haven't, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Bye. Bye.